So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Inside the Mind of Champions, where we're going to be looking at the winning mindset for entrepreneurs. Before I dive into the content, I wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who subscribed to and shared this podcast. Last week, I received an amazing message from Apple telling me that we'd got into the number two position of their UK charts for management, and I was absolutely thrilled, as you can imagine. I love that idea of taking on the likes of the Harvard Business School and other big podcast producers from my garage. So a massive thank you to all of you for being super spreaders in my network, especially people like Durham, who've took the time to leave a review and also sharing loads of posts on LinkedIn. So thank you very much. I do see them and I do notice it and appreciate it. So thank you very much. So let's get into today's theme. This pandemic has affected businesses in every sector and every nation. And while our governments have stepped in to underpin the finances of many larger corporates, sometimes the smaller businesses have fallen through the cracks. And I know we have listeners all over the world and that stats are similar there. But some interesting data that I found here in the UK was that small and medium enterprises or SMEs make up over 99% of the UK economy with around 6 million businesses employing 16 million people and contributing over £2 trillion to the UK economy. So this is the heartbeat of our economy and we need to take it off life support and bring it back to life. As ever, I believe that if we want great performance from our business, then we need to be disciplined and focus around those high performance behaviours. But to do that amidst the chaos, that starts in our mindset. So if we are broken and pessimistic and have that sort of victim mindset, then it will be a self-fulfilling prophecy and our persecutors will win, whoever they are out there. But if we can dust ourselves down, reboot and refocus on the things that are in our control, that will give us a chance to move things forward and then slowly but surely we'll start to see the green shoots of recovery. For those of you who are new to this podcast, I'm not professing to be a a business strategy expert by any stretch, but after retiring as an international cricketer and retraining in sports psychology, I set up Sporting Edge, a high performance consultancy, 
which takes insights from the success of the world-class thinkers and performers and translates that into practical strategies for entrepreneurs, coaches and executives to apply in their world. I set the business up in 2008, which was at the in the teeth of a great recession, so not a brilliant time to start a new consultancy. And I've definitely experienced some highs and lows in building Sporting Edge, so I'm very happy to share some of those personal war stories and scars here on this podcast. Here's a taster of what's to come from the experts in today's show. I think the top sports person is willing to work that bit harder, willing to go through that bit more pain, willing to suffer that bit more than someone else. And the answer is sometimes you have to change your mind, otherwise you're going to drive the company into the wrong place. So making mistakes is really a critical aspect of learning in the first place. So the truth is that none of us have experienced anything like this before and it's threatened even the most stable and successful businesses. During the last four months of lockdown, we've seen the high streets close overnight and consumers have relied on that click and delivery from global marketplaces like Amazon. Customers now expect immediate delivery in this hyper-personalised product. And the pressure is on websites and e-commerce. The pressure is on production and factories. And the pressure is on delivery to get it to the customer on time. Industry thought leaders have been speaking about the pace of technological change and advancement for years. But recently, a corporate leader said to me that they think we've experienced a decade of digitization in just three or four months, which seems to be the case. We've definitely seen that in our own field of corporate learning with companies accelerating their plans from what was thought of as a a nice to have that was going to emerge over the next few years to something that has to happen pretty much immediately with all of their workforce working remotely. So I'm sure you've seen something similar in your industry. And that makes it a really fascinating time for business It's not only unpredictable to know what's coming next, but some of it is unknowable because we've never seen this kind of situation before. So those who can navigate this disruption with their small businesses or their startups will be able to grow really quickly as the economy rebounds. For some big players, they might be too big and too rigid and the bigger companies might have been investing in a a portfolio of small, creative and nimble startups that are around them now that they can integrate as part of their main business model and help them to diversify at scale. The pressure is on leaders everywhere, irrespective of the scale of our businesses, to navigate this pressure and uncertainty and take our businesses to safety. As ever, I'm trying to make this show as interactive and as helpful as possible for you. So I sent out the request for questions across email to hello at sportingedge.com and also across LinkedIn, and I've got lots and lots of questions, so I'm really hoping I can answer those today. Many of them, Fiona and Neil were talking about this fear of failure, but this audio clip today comes from Kirsten. Hi, Jeremy. It's Kirsten here calling from Sweden. Um, I have my own business with 18 staff, but with our clients being unsure of their plans, everyone is worried about the future at the moment. So I was wondering, how do you create a culture that isn't scared of failing? 
Well, thanks, Kirsten. This really is the holy grail at the moment, especially when you've had a few painful setbacks. I know for us, we saw some of our bigger corporate clients become more cautious around the time the Brexit negotiations were happening because they didn't know how many leaders they were going to have to develop in the UK. So people might be scared of failing. And and I suppose it depends a little bit what you mean by the fear of failure. Maybe the macro level failure is the business failing, or you might mean at the micro level where a project or even an idea fails. It's also important to think about your own mindset as the leader, Kirsten, because if we are the ones that are sending off these signals of confidence and clarity, then things are likely to be much better within that culture we create. Or are we setting off these signals of uh, hesitance and fear? So let's start with the leader's own perspective and those bigger failures and then work down to more the culture of the daily rhythm of, of business. So I think what we've seen from the high performers is that failure is definitely linked to high performance, strangely, that often the most successful people are the ones that have failed the most. So when you're building something new as an entrepreneur, as a startup, you're not just optimizing something that's been going for 10 years and you're trying to get those incremental sort of efficiencies out of it. This takes creativity. It's very experimental and lots of projects will fail And businesses will fail in this phase. And I saw some stats from the US, the Bureau of Labor over there that suggested that around 20% of all small businesses fail in the first year, with 50% failing within the first five years. And they also suggest that only around 20% of businesses make it beyond 15 years. That's maybe the realistic position. And we might have to let go of that unicorn dream that billion dollar valuation because there's less than one percent chance of that happening. So when we think about what is an entrepreneur, we maybe get these flashes of the images of Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg in front of our eyes, the billionaires. And the first thing we've got to do is make sure that we're not comparing ourselves to those amazingly successful people, because otherwise we won't be realistic and we'll be heartbroken every time. So if we go back to basics and think what the definition of an entrepreneur is, I actually looked it up earlier when I was writing this and the search came up with a person who sets up a business or businesses taking on financial risk in the hope of profit. In the hope of profit. How relevant is that in this uh, period of such adversity that we're all facing? So, of course, some businesses will scale dramatically in the next 12 months. But for others, it's just about surviving through to 2021. We've all experienced failure and mistakes, but it's our response that's absolutely key to our future success. So I think we need to take accountability when we make mistakes and when setbacks happen. And we need to be really clinical in our appraisal rather than getting too emotional. Certainly the best leaders and teams that I've seen handle situations and setbacks well have been the ones that have been able to identify a specific action or a specific time that that mistake was made and they all take accountability and move forward. So that stops us from getting this global and timeless belief that we are now failures and it allows us to say, 
I'm not a failure, but at that point in time, doing that particular thing with that particular client or in that particular match, that was a mistake. And that allows us then to have a very rational approach to put things in perspective and to be able to learn from them, which is absolutely critical to bouncing back. And I think the people that expect setbacks, expect adversity and are very realistic about their perspective have a you know an advantage here. I think we've all drip fed by this beautiful plastic filtered social media like you know Instagram where people are sharing pictures of their whole life being perfect and we look across our whole network and everyone's world seems to be amazing yet ours feels like it's falling to bits sometimes but no one posts the picture of the dent that they reversed into the garage wall with or the cakes that they burnt you know they they're very selective about the story that they show the world so we've got to be realistic that we have great days. We have things that we're really proud of and they have terrible days. They just haven't chosen to put it on their social media profile. So so make sure you keep that perspective and know that everyone is floundering and failing forwards towards their goal, even the most successful leaders in the world. And that's definitely the case. It might look like everyone's the, you know, serene swan gliding across the surface of the water but I can tell you from certainly the the organizations that I've seen most people are flapping a bit and and trying to make it look good so so that's really important to think about the reality of it and embracing that reality and having that honesty within our teams but also recognizing that we've got a a speed of response that we've probably never been able to get back into the marketplace back into the game faster. You know, the internet is this incredible uh, shop window that's active 24 hours a day, right around every time zone. And if we can get our products and services into that space in the right way, and we, we build that relationship with our clients, then recovery from any setback is possible quicker, arguably, than any point in history. So I think we've got to take that positive as well. So, Kirsten, that's a little bit about the mindset of the top end about major failures. But there's also an insight here from the micro level failure and mistake that I hope you find interesting. It comes from the youngest member of our 100 experts in our digital library that we've interviewed. This is from Tanmay Bakshi. And when I interviewed him a couple of years ago, he was a 14 year old child prodigy, if you like, an algorithmist. He built his own app when he was eight He's done TED Talks and got a YouTube channel, Tanmay Teachers, and he's even an honorary cloud advisor to IBM on their AI project, IBM Watson. So an incredible young man. And I was fascinated by his response. And when I saw your question, I thought this would be the perfect clip to find and to play for you. So this is Tanmay Bakshi a technology expert, uh, an app developer, uh, you know, a coder, an algorithmist, talking about his perspective of mistakes in that world of technology. Uh, really what I believe is that mistakes are the only way you can learn and actually make the stuff that you're doing even better, grow your passion. Once you have that sort of passion and you've started working, uh, you have to continue to persevere. Really, if you get stuck somewhere with a mistake, you can't just stop and say, you know what, I, I'm done with it. You have to continue to persevere, spend days, spend weeks, spend months 
fixing the problem because every time you fix the problem, you will never experience that problem again. And of course, there's a solution to every problem. For example, as I'm building, uh, say, you know, my facial recognition system, I encounter many different errors, many different mistakes that I make in the code, uh, in the algorithm, in the architecture. But what happens is I learn from those mistakes. And then the next day when I'm implementing, say, a spam classifier, it's not the same problem. But I took my experience from facial recognition. I took all the mistakes that I made inside of that application and make, made sure that I didn't make those mistakes here. And I made a much, much better piece of software. Uh, and of course, I fixed the mistakes in the facial recognition as well uh, because I was able to learn from them, learn how to fix them. And then from there on out, I never make that mistake again because I've already made it once and I learned how to fix it and how not to make that mistake. Uh, and so really, again, it's always about learning from experience. Like for example, if you're learning to program, you won't read a book or, or you know, look at the internet and learn how to program magically. You have to continue to learn by example and experience if you really want to continue to learn uh, about these sorts of technologies or about really anything in general. So making mistakes is really a critical aspect of learning in the first place. So a fascinating insight there from Tanmay Bakshi. And again, having come from sport and people are so worried about making mistakes in front of the cameras and, and what it looks like. Tanmay there, this young technologist with a, a stellar career ahead of him. His, I've never seen anyone embrace setbacks like him. It's almost like he loves making mistakes, but he sees mistakes as this iterative process that you are gradually failing forwards towards the perfect app or the perfect piece of technology. So I think the antidote to this fear of failure is attacking each project as an exciting opportunity to learn. Ultimately, as Tanmay said, we, we're able to do this with our technology and say, oh, you know, here's this app that I've built, kick it and scratch it and press every button on it until you break it because I need that feedback to make it better through these iterative upgrades and versions. But we can't see ourselves in beta mode. We can't see that we are not the finished performer yet. So I think it's really interesting to think about ourselves, our team and our businesses, our products and our solutions and our services in beta mode. Now, that's not to say it's not, it's substandard and it's not ready yet, but it's just that it will always be improved in the same way that, you know, at school we might write two or three drafts of the same essay. It's just constantly looking for improvement. And I think when we set that culture within our businesses, then that's when we really start to move away from that fear of failure and that perfectionist short term trait that everything has to be perfect today. And it sort of brings that sterile and, and sort of inertia into our businesses rather than failing fast and, and learning and moving forward all the time. Because I think, you know, when we do support innovation and failure, then people are liberated by it and they will take more accountability. So, you know, we do need to change and adapt and, and have the speed and balance changes of, I don't know, Lionel Messi in the midfield. But we're always going to have a few speed wobbles. We're always going to make, you know, we're always going to make mistakes. We're not perfect. So we need to make sure that we're able to shift our focus. Now, for bigger businesses, I guess, We've got to work out whether, you know, our resources, our time, our, our finances are locked into a stable core business that is under pressure at the moment because of the way the world's changed during this crisis. So maybe we've got to work out, do we stick with 80% of that core business and 
experiment and accept failure in the 20%? Is it more drastic than that? And we need to go to 50-50 or actually have we only got 20% of our old business model left and we've actually got to go and create something completely new and we need the 80% of our business to be really entrepreneurial, go and test and learn, go and speak to our clients, get feedback, go and get surveys, get some really honest critique of our products and services. Because if we're stubborn and we just go with our ego and try and do what we've always done, then we're never going to survive anyway. So I think one thing might be to set your team up, Kirsten, with some kind of strategic goal or project and say that you're going to kickstart and dial up this review process where you want to deliver the piece of work and maybe get more feedback as you build it than you would do, have more review meetings, test it from different perspectives, whether it's legal, financial, technology, whatever your your business is, and then make sure you can get it ready for the client and then get some feedback and know that you're going to build in that improvement process as you go just like Tanmay does with his coding. And I think that's a really good thing to start out with at the beginning. Even if your product is amazing, I think we should always be looking to improve it. I had another question through from Rick to say, how do we balance long-term purpose with short-term survival? And, and again, this is so relevant at the moment. So I guess our purpose, our why, as Simon Sinek talks about, is our motivational fuel. So we may need to, in the short term, cut costs, move to a smaller office, let some of the team go, you know, remove some investment from some of the projects that we were dreaming up over the last few years, whatever it takes to get through it. But we shouldn't compromise on our why, which is the, you know, why the business exists in the first place. So I think... The founder's story is so powerful here if you're in a bigger business. Um, Lots of people forget these emotionally engaging stories when the shit hits the fan and we're left with Excel spreadsheets and, and, you know, finance charts. But we need, we all want to be part of this emotional quest. We all need a cause to, to fight for. So that definitely needs to, you know, connect with us emotionally because we need to know that, the hardship and the sacrifice that we're about to go through to get the business going again is going to be valuable and is going to make an impact on people and and on the world. So if you haven't listened to episode eight of this podcast yet, then it's an absolute must from Mandela to Mars. And you'll remember those who did listen that a few of Nelson Mandela's comrades gave us some incredible stories of their resilience, their optimism and their solidarity as a group, being fused and fueled by their shared purpose to overthrow the apartheid regime. So they believed that if they could stay together, if they could resist the torture and the isolation, stay together as a team and that apartheid group would be broken down and, and, you know, their fight would be worthwhile as they overthrew the apartheid regime. And they did it. So I think while our short term tactics to survive, Rick might need to flex and and change, our purpose doesn't. If you're a financial services business, really what you're doing, depending on what products you sell, you're helping people to sleep easy at night, knowing that their investments are safe and that their property is insured. Maybe from a tactical survival point of view, you need to 
cut some costs and use more online banking or the app or phone driven relationships in the short term. But the purpose remains the same. I know for us as a business, you know, our purpose is all about trying to inspire people to be happier, healthier and more successful in their work. And and that's our core purpose, which hasn't shifted. Now, previously, I was doing a lot of conference events and speaking engagements around the world. But obviously, that's all shut down. And we've seen a big shift towards our digital content and our digital coaching. So, again, we're still trying to deliver that quest and that purpose, but we're doing it through a different model. And and again, I'm innovating again that we're looking to, we've had lots of inquiries rather than the big companies approaching us to integrate our content into their learning frameworks and internal comms programs. We've had a lot of individuals asking us, can they have access to our content? So I'm currently developing a, a personal subscription model that's going to give you all access to our video content for thousands of people a lot faster. So so that's really exciting. And again, that doesn't change the purpose. That's just the, the strategy to help businesses get through tough times and adapt to this particular challenge. And I guess the big problem comes when the purpose remains the same, but the delivery mechanism is a long way from what's previously been done. And that new delivery model costs us loads and loads of money where cash flow has been stretched from you know lower profits during that downtime. So this is where we need to take some risks and have some courage. We need to be able to forecast and calculate and rely on data just as much as our gut feel. But we have to take some risks as well. I think entrepreneurs, just like elite sports stars, have to spot the gap and then they have to commit 100% here. So one of the key things that we need to do when we set this vision is we need to to break that down into more tangible behaviours and priorities. So I'm just going to find this video insight from Sir Dave Brailsford in our video library. This insight explains how an Olympian can't just focus on the dream of being a champion, but it's actually the daily behaviours to focus on that are really, really critical. Let's listen to Dave Brailsford talking about how he helps athletes to translate their dream into an everyday reality. You've got to differentiate between two things. I think we, we like to have outcome-driven strategies, so we always want an outcome. But I think you've got to be very careful in terms of um, uh, really clearly understanding what's a dream, what we'd like to happen, and what's a target. Um, let's say Chris Hoy, he wants to win a gold medal, and that's his dream. However, whether that happens or not isn't really in his control. You've got all the other athletes in the world, You've got a lot of other variables which he can't influence right up until the moment he gets there. But what he can do, he, he can manage everything about himself. So what we, we accept, we all accept we have a dream, that's what we want to happen. But actually we then, ident- then identify targets. We can guess pretty much or figure out rather than guess, um, you know, what's it going to take to be on the podium. We can translate that into uh, a weight in the gym power that he develops in, in his sprint training, um, tactical awareness, you know, all of those different things you can create targets around. And so we went, we then work to those targets. Now that'll only give you a performance and it could, you know, fulfill the dream. We think it would fulfill the dream. But if we just set out thinking, right, the goal is winning, then you're in big trouble. From a psychological point of view, you're in big, big trouble. 
And I think that's, you know, you see it quite a lot in younger athletes where they think, right, my goal is to win. Well, all you can do then is, is pretty much stress yourself out because winning isn't necessarily within your, within your control. So we find actually recognising, yeah, we want to win, of course we do, but actually we're going to control our world here. We're going to work to these targets. Then everybody settles down. They stop, you know, they don't agitate as much and they can really get on with a job and the processes of what it's going to take to achieve these things. And if you tick them off, I'm now in the best shape possible to go and try and achieve my goal and I'm actually going to be feeling good about it. I've left no stone unturned. I feel my belief systems are great. My confidence high. I know what to do. I couldn't be more prepared. I'm in the best possible position to try and achieve my dream. And then what happens, happens. So it's no surprise that Sir Dave Brailsford is one of the world's most successful coaches. So with the Team GB cycling, he won loads and loads of gold medals and then he's gone on with Team Sky and Team Ineos to win the Tour de France as well. But that ability to move from the emotional outcome of will we win, will we lose, will I be champion or not, is draining our emotion ultimately. And and while it might be great for our emotional fuel to want to build that business or be that Olympic champion, what we've got to think about is not winning in four years time if it's the Olympics, but what we've got to do is ask ourselves that same acronym, WIN, W-I-N, what's important now? What's important next? Because it's only today that I get control over how I attack that day and focus on that day so that I can start to make a difference. So where an Olympian might think about the performance goal, if we move down that pyramid idea of goal setting, the dream sits at the very top and that's why we jump out of bed in the morning. But then underneath that, we need a performance goal, something that we can measure. So that's the 9.6 seconds if we're feeling ambitious against uh, Usain Bolt's world record. And then under that, from, for an athlete's point of view, we might have mental, physical, tactical, technical elements that drive and, and contribute to that world-class performance of 9.6 seconds. For you in business, that could be a turnover or a profit margin or a market share, but we need the number. And then we need to say, well, if I'm going to hit those sales, if I'm going to hit that 9.6 seconds, what does my mental, physical, tactical, technical game look like in sport? Or if I'm, if I'm in business, what is my sales? What is my marketing? What does my cost control or my sustainability or my safety level need to look like in the factory? And when we start to break it down into those elements, then we can say, right, how do I break that down again? And each time we're asking, how do I achieve that? So if we can build those dreams and aspirations down into targets, which are then quarterly or weekly, then we can start to see, well, actually, if I want to achieve that weekly sales target, I need to manage my portfolio, understand my products, have great relationship with my customer and make sure I'm managing my software and and email systems and whatever to make sure that I'm on top of that. So if I can get those up to 100% efficient, then I'm going to have a gold medal week and then I can have a gold medal month and then I can have a gold medal quarter and a gold medal year. So I think what we can learn in these times of high emotion and high volatility from the world's best coaches is that then when they have this dream about what they want their business or their performance to look like, they turn that into a very tangible plan with outcomes and all of those processes. And they focus on making gold medal days and aggregating those together so that we can build that up to deliver success. Because 
if you're going to be a successful entrepreneur, this is not going to be a sprint. This is an ultra marathon and we're going to have to get through the swamps as well. So it's got all sorts of pitfalls and challenges. And the other key thing along the way as we start to make those plans is it's not going to go in a straight line. You know, we will go in the quicksand or fall off the road. And we've got to make sure that we know sometimes we've got to turn back. Sometimes we've got to stop. And I think the other key thing for great leaders is that they understand when to stop, when to say no and when to change their mind. And this insight from top author and executive coach and the former COO of Morgan Stanley Europe, May Bush, explains how it's really important as a skill for leaders to have to be able to change your mind, to get to this high performance journey and to run the ultra marathon and finish at the end of the race. You might need to change your mind as you go along. So once you've made that big decision, the question is, is it okay to change your mind? And the answer is, sometimes you have to change your mind. Otherwise, you're going to drive the company into the wrong place. And this goes back to Economics 101. That was the degree I had, economics. And there is this, this concept called the fallacy of sunk costs, which is that all the costs that you incurred prior to this very moment are irrelevant when you're making a decision because those costs are sunk, already spent water under the bridge. The only thing that matters is what happens from where you are now forward. So in making those decisions, make sure you don't fall into the fallacy of sunk costs and you're only looking from where we are now forward. And by the way, that's why my father always said to me, May, that's why the eyes are in the front of the head. You always want to be looking forward, not backward. And one of the other things that keeps us from changing our decision is this sense of, ooh, am I going to look dumb? Because I just made a big thing out of making the decision that we made six months ago. The way to get yourself out of that one is to say, hey, we have new information. We're always making the best possible decision with the information we have at hand. But three months have passed, six months have passed, a year has passed, even a week has passed or a day has passed, and we now have new information. And now this other way is going to be the best way. So when you're making decisions, don't fall into the trap of sunk costs and don't fall into the trap of thinking you can't change your mind. You're not changing your mind, you're acting on new information. So I love that insight from May Bush there, reframing the guilt and the shame that we sometimes feel from changing our mind. But actually, there's never been a better time to change our mind. The world has changed dramatically around us. So that means that, as May said, we've got new information, we've got new data points, there are new trends, our customer needs different things. So this is absolutely the time to change. And that doesn't mean you're a loser. Uh, there's no shame in it. It just means this particular project has been lost, but we haven't lost the war. We're going to carry on fighting. And the biggest failure actually would be to get your ego locked in, get too stubborn, drain all your time and your resources and your cash and your relationships and your trust into something that was never going to work just because we thought six months ago or 12 months ago that that was the, the great idea of the time. So 
I think great uh, entrepreneurs also know when to stop. And a, a really good example of that is James Dyson, the billionaire entrepreneur from the Hoovers and Fans Empire. He invested around £500 million in an electric car project with 500 staff and factories around the world. I think they had a base in Singapore. But after a few months, they just couldn't make it work. And, you know, the cars were very expensive and, and the battery technology was tough. So they stopped it because before they sunk too much more cost into it. And it allowed them to focus on their core strengths and their core business, which was a brilliant decision. He's not, you know, you wouldn't say James Dyson is a failure. That was a brilliant decision. I hope you're enjoying today's show. I just wanted to take a moment to introduce you to Sporting Edge's Members Club. It's an amazing opportunity to join our network of high performers from around the world. Over the last decade, we've created this pioneering library of video insights and performance strategies from the world's best thinkers and performers. But we've never really had a solution that gives you direct access to this whenever you need it. So when you become a member, you'll be able to access this incredible toolkit to boost your mindset and career on demand on any device. You'll hear from neuroscientists helping you to understand how your brain works. You'll be able to watch Olympians giving you inspirational stories and strategies to boost your resilience and rekindle your motivation. And you'll also hear from communication gurus as well as experts in business strategy and the future of the workplace. We'll introduce you to new experts every month and invite you to join exclusive online mastermind sessions with world-class coaches and performance experts. So here's how you can find out more. During times of uncertainty and pressure, your mindset will be the key to your success. Sporting Edge members have unlimited personal access to hundreds of video insights and performance strategies to accelerate their personal and professional success. This is your chance to get powerful weekly micro-lessons from the world's best thinkers and performers from elite sport. You'll be able to connect with a global network of entrepreneurs, coaches and senior executives on webinars, discussion forums and events. Become a Sporting Edge member and get access to the world's best coaches on demand. For more information, visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com. So if you're a coach, entrepreneur or executive looking for strategies to navigate the future with confidence, come and learn more about Sporting Edge Members Club at sportingedge.com forward slash membership. I look forward to welcoming you to our high performance network. So I think we've all experienced this seismic shift in our markets. And the thing that we can control is what our next steps are. Again, May talking there about the eyes being in the front of our head to look forward. So, of course, we need data from the past. Of course, we made decisions in the past. But we need to land again back in the business as if it's the first day that we've been here and, and look through fresh eyes and almost imagine that we've got a clean view of the world. And one of my advisors was saying to me the other day that imagine you're in a completely minimalist white room and you're selecting in back each of the strategies or ideas or products. You're not sort of just carrying them all forward. You're starting again and selecting all those ideas back into this pristine white room. And, and maybe we need to do that exercise and think about 
the choices that we need to make. And, and by saying no to some projects, of course, that means we're saying yes to projects which are going to be more viable. You know, we can move more quickly and maybe they're more profitable. So that's going to be a really key element for us. So hopefully that's given you a little bit more courage to, um, you know, change your mind and, and think what's right for you at this time, because it is a tough time and, and we need to make sure we're making the right decisions for our teams moving forward. So I had another question come through by email. This came through to hello at sportingedge.com. It's from James, and I think he captures the mood of many at the moment with this challenging environment on the high street. Good morning, Jeremy. It's James Scrimshaw from Cell Regeneration UK here. Um, I'm seeing uh, quite a lot of my patients and um, people I know in the surrounding areas on the high street really struggling, uh, having taken huge backward steps um, with all the measures in place, even as restriction ease. Um, it's not looking like things are going to return to normal for some time. So their businesses are really struggling from the closure, not to mention the unforeseeable future and morale is extremely low and and in some cases I've seen kind of signs of depression um, after years of hard work things are out of their control so you know my question really is what type of exercise or or advice can you give to help people in this position uh, to try and steer their mindset and motivation back onto a positive course um, during such a difficult time. Thanks very much. So again, a really powerful question there from James. And I think um, hopefully some of the insights in today's podcast have been helpful, James, in, in setting the scene. But we've also got some other content in the great pause and the mental well-being and resilience episodes that we've done. And I think you, you sort of hinted at it yourself. We can all spend time worrying about the news, worrying about the, the government statistics that are coming out, or we can make sure that we're energizing ourselves, being positive, making plans and, and taking things back into our control. So even though, you know, our businesses have been, you know, disrupted, there are things that we can do. And it sounds like, you know, from your perspective, if it's a medical setting where you're caring for, for patients and offering a service to patients, then some kind of relationship could be kept going. You can catch up with those people and just make sure that those people in your network know that you're there and you still care and you're still there to offer that support. And then obviously, when things do start to open out, it sounds like it might be to do with the social distancing as, as one of the limitations. So that's one thing that hopefully releases soon so that your business and other you know, high street shops and, and restaurants and pubs and, and other elements of the hospitality industry can get back going. But sadly, there's not one mantra or, or routine that you can do. But I think if you go back to what made your business really successful, what are the core strengths of the product and service and what are your key strengths as an entrepreneur and a business leader? And what are the, the examples in your track record over the last few years of where you've really made a difference to people's lives? And those are the things to surround yourself with. We've got to almost dial the volume up on those and dial down the volume on that negative, you know, catastrophizing view that we hear from the government uh, with all those statistics and bring it back to our control. So I think, you know, we've got to be realistic. As I say, don't compare yourself to somebody who's just got in a private jet and signed a new deal for millions. This is 
we're sort of down in the trenches at the moment. And I think that might be the case for the top 0.1% of people, but that's it. It's certainly not the top 10%. I was looking at some statistics the other day about um, salaries and, and, you know, we get this view again that, that everyone's making millions of pounds, but in the top, to be in the top 5% earners, you need to earn £270,000. And to be in the top 1%, it's £688,000. And in the US, it's $300,000 to be in the top 5%. And to be in the top 1%, it's $720,000. So I don't know, I, I think we have this view that every entrepreneur is walking around there you know, beautifully preened and polished like the the winner of Crufts. But I think we're more likely to look like ravaged hyenas coming out of the bush with a gouged eye and a wounded leg and a half empty stomach. So I think, again, we've got to think about the reality and, and compare ourselves to our best and our best business and our best performance rather than comparing ourselves either to the government statistics that are, are worrying us and, and comparing ourselves to these mega billionaires that seem to have it all sorted. We've got to be realistic. And I think going back to your founding principles, again, is is a really important thing because I'm sure your network still needs support. They would still value a, a phone call, even though there's not a service that you can offer at the moment, just to make sure that they know that you're there and that you care. That's going to be a really important foundation for when things start to release. So I think reconnecting with our past successes and our purpose are are really important skills. But I think we can also recalibrate our definition of success sometimes. And that we often think that our success is directly correlated with our intelligence or our talent. And I think what I've seen from the world of elite sport is that that's not always the case and and you know the the path to mastery is not only at least 10 years long but it also gets steeper and steeper with every stage of of progression that you make so if we want to get to the very top then we need that natural ability and that athleticism or that intellectual engine that talent but we also need that tenacity to get there And I think a great insight and and a great way to build this into our teams is to think about the role of tenacity in delivering high performance and and build that in as part of the way we inspire and engage our team. Because the teams that can get through challenging times together are definitely the special ones. And we're going to hear now from one of the most respected figures in British sport. This is Baroness Sue Campbell. She was a great netball coach, a great coach educator. And after a couple of decades of that, she became the chair of UK sport for two Olympic cycles. And in this insight from her brilliant interview, Sue explains the personality traits of the best athletes she's seen in her time. And she explains the mindset and the attributes that they had when I think the same can be said for entrepreneurs. This is Sue Campbell. I've come across many, many talented people who have never really gone on to maximise that talent. And I've seen people with you know, fairly ordinary levels of talent with an unbelievable determination to be the very best that they can be. So I, I think, I, I think um, for me, it is an attitude of mind. It really is attitude and commitment to something. So words like perseverance, resilience 
are really critical, I think, in being the best you can be. And, and I think quite often what happens, particularly with young, talented people, is they're talented early on, so they're very successful, and then they hit defeat. And at that moment, they can't handle that kind of sense of not being what they thought they were going to be. And it's at those moments that a good coach, good support, will help them regroup and rethink about that. Because actually, um, you know, you, you look at some of our great sportsmen and women, and they are focused on success, some of them for 15, 20 years, and they have that one goal in mind, and they just keep after it and after it and after it. I mean, Kath Granger is the classic example. Three silver medals, three successive Olympics, and she still came back for more and won her gold medal. So perseverance, determination, resilience, um, a constant search for even better ways of doing things, no complacency. It's those things that I think drive success. So a fascinating insight there. And I love that ambition, that optimism and that tenacity. I haven't failed. I just haven't achieved my goal yet. And that it's that persistence that we need both in elite sport and as entrepreneurs to find a way to be successful. Remember, this is the marathon and it's our tenacity that's going to get us there just as much as our talent or our brilliant product. So I think that's going to be a really important thing for us to, to think about. And the next insight, which again, hopefully, James, this is helpful for you and, and the people that are in a similar frame of mind and, and in a similar challenging environment is to go, we're going into the dark side of motivation a little bit here. Again, we, we sort of see these um, you know mood boards of a of a Ferrari and a, a private jet or whatever you say you want your dreams to be. But often, you know, the dark side of motivation, the fear of failure, that sort of fire in your belly is absolutely critical to getting through periods of adversity. So who better to guide us through this particular time than one of the most resilient champions of all time in any sport? This guy's fallen off loads of horses and been trampled on and, and still kept going. He dusted himself down probably a thousand times in his 20 years as champion jockey. This is Sir Anthony McCoy, AP McCoy, talking about what mental toughness means to him. What is mental toughness? Going to the extremes that the, the opponent won't go to. You know, that is what mental toughness is, is, is preparing to go to the end. You know, how will you suffer more than the person you're competing against? And that is what mental toughness is. You know, is it a case of how far are you willing to go? And God forbid, you know, you know, you're willing to go to the end. You know, and I, I think that's what what's different from from an average sports person to a top sports person. I think the top sports person is willing to work that bit harder, willing to go through that bit more pain, willing to suffer that bit more than someone else. Um, and again, you, you know, there's no getting away from it. You have to have talent. I mean, I, no matter how much I try mentally, I am going to beat Tiger Woods or Rory McIlroy on a golf course. You know, so there has to be, you know, they have to have the talent. There's no doubt about that. You know, no matter how much mentally strong you are and how, if you don't have the talent, it ain't going to work. But, um, you, you know, to be that, if you're lucky enough to be involved in that sport that you're involved in, you have to be able to suffer that bit more than the person that you're competing against. So it's interesting that AP McCoy there is talking about suffering and you could probably even pick up with the 
close microphone during our interview that his stomach was gurgling there as he was making the wait for another race that he probably went on to, to win later that day. So again, an incredibly powerful insight that talks about the champions are the ones that are prepared to go the extra mile to suffer that little bit more. And that, again, we don't often hear about this sacrifice and and pain that, that comes with being a high performer. So this is AP McCoy going beyond reason to achieve success. So motivation isn't always those, you know, shiny dreams. It can be these deep, darker motivations about proving people wrong, about avoiding failure or about, um, you know, challenging yourself in these times to keep going for another day, another week, another month. And it's instilling that, you know, for yourself and your team to make sure that the adversity actually galvanizes you together through these challenging times so that you get to live and fight another day to serve your customers and clients well. So I think the key is here that the the suffering shouldn't be detrimental. I know James mentioned about, you know, mental health and, and this is not blind obsession where your your health, you know, suffers um, and your relationship suffers. I think I think you've got to keep things in balance and that should definitely be part of this holistic view of success. So can I sustain, you know, my relationships, my energy, my well-being and sustain my business? That's, you know, really the true success. But I think another way to look at this is that you don't have to suffer alone. Um, And although you might be a, a sort of pioneering entrepreneur, you know, doing it on your own in business, it's a great idea to surround yourself with a with a brilliant network that can support you. Um, They can support you financially, emotionally, operationally, but they can also challenge you and they can challenge you strategically, intellectually and commercially. So even the best solo sports stars have coaches and support teams in place. So the key thing is the way you position these things. So, you know, again, like when we spoke about handling setbacks and being ruthless about the reality of what happened and why that mistake was made. We can either ask our support network, oh, what do you think, you know, how do you think I'm getting on? They'll likely be quite positive. Or you can say, actually, you know, if you were releasing this product into your network, what would you be worried about? What do you think I've missed? You know, how can we improve this? What do you think our competitors are doing? All of those really honest conversations are great from a challenger network to make sure that, you know, rather than sitting worrying about, you know, in your own head what might happen, you're actually starting to bring those out into rational plans that you can start to do something about. And it's when they get out of your head and live on paper and live in plans that you can start to execute against them. And that's when your clarity and focus starts to increase. And that's when you can start to move forward. So I had loads of questions through and um, I'm going to give you some insights in a minute about a webinar that we're going to run in a couple of days time. So if you do get a chance to join us on that, that'd be brilliant because I'm going to tackle a a lot more questions on this winning mindset for entrepreneurs there. But a couple of questions I had from both Jennifer, how do I stay resilient? And Jerome, how do you keep emotionally well? I think they are really good questions and I don't think there's a secret formula. Uh, And I work very hard to be resilient. And again, I'm not telling you how to do things, but 
I'm lucky, so lucky to be surrounded by all of this amazing content and, you know, all of these inspirational people in our library. Actually, I soak that up day by day working with it. So I'm also happy to share, you know, some stories and, and a few ideas of mine. And, and I think for me, most people that work with me and, and know me would say that I'm incredibly driven. And And when I reflect back on where that's come from, I look back to one specific incident, which was my brother, who's three years older, went to a private school and, and it was greatly expected that I would just follow in his footsteps. And so I took the entrance exam and the day the letter arrived from the school to to, to let us know the result, I think my uh, school uniform and, and lifts to, to school had been organised already. But that uh, letter dropped on the uh, doorstep with a clang and we all sat round like a family meeting as the letter was unwrapped like an Oscar winner. And sadly, the nominations were not good and, and I'd actually failed that entrance exam. And, and before my dad said a word, I saw the look in his eye that set off a little spark in my belly that hasn't gone out yet. And it was all about failure and letting people down, which I definitely felt like I did. And I used that moment of failure and disappointment that I caused and I was part of. I used that to focus all of my determination and energy to avoid that failure again. And I used that in my cricket. And I didn't know at the time that I was turning on, you know, into some professional pathway. But basically, at each of the trials, I worked hard, I trained harder than anyone I knew. And I was improving faster and that gave me a chance ultimately to play cricket for England. I used that in my master's degree to go to university while I was still playing cricket and do that master's degree in psychology. And when the advanced statistics were going on, I definitely had to turn the flame up a bit because I hated it. And I've used it through the tough times with Sporting Edge. And I think, you know, I'm I'm really proud of the team that we've got and, and the business that we've got, but it's it's not easy. And and I think for me, I've got my, you know, insecurities and fears and my motivations that keep me going through challenging times. And, and I have to try and keep those in balance. I've got a brilliant family as well. And I think when I make content like this for you, it makes me sign a social contract that if I've got any integrity, I need to live by this myself. So I can't be talking a good game and then not living one. So I guess what you're hearing from me during these podcasts and webinars and our other content is this is the way I try and live. Now, I'm not perfect, but for me during lockdown, my energy has been absolutely critical. And I found it actually quite tiring being on loads of Zoom calls and constantly on camera and, you know, you know, normal working schedule, but a bit disconnected from our team that's used to working so well together. So for me, I've had to get up early and go for a, a run with the dog at 6am or so to, to make sure I feel like I'm one nil up on the day. I'm energised. I feel you know, full of life and, and ready to take on the day before my schedule or the family and all those other things come and, and potentially derail me with working at home. So I think we've got to look after our energy first. We've got to make sure that we're optimistic. We've got to break things down to be simpler and more rational. But we've also got to have that dream, you know, burning away. We've got to have the 
the excitement of the dream of what we want our business to become and that fire in our belly to say, I don't want this to fail. I'm prepared to do anything it takes to get me there. I wish you every success with your business, whatever stage you're at. I'm sure you've got many, many vastly bigger businesses than Sporting Edge and and vastly more successful. And maybe there's some people who've been made redundant from a, a big company and you're looking at setting up your own business. So maybe these insights are valuable there as well. But I think for me, you know, we look at, again, the billionaires and the, the big tech entrepreneurs and these wonderful unicorn case studies that we see of people who've really made it. But the thing for me where I think entrepreneurs don't realize what they've got is the autonomy to choose who they work with, when they work with them and, you know, on what products and what services. So I think that ability to that freedom to create your own business you know, is an incredible gift. And that should be part of our definition of success. And while we have that freedom and flexibility, we also have the accountability to navigate these tough periods and do the best that we possibly can for ourselves and for our teams that rely on us and for our customers. So I believe massively in in what I'm doing. I'm so passionate about trying to help people with some of the insights that, you know, I've learned through my career and the amazing people in this library. So I don't think there is a you know perfect three-step guide. I, w- I wouldn't believe it if there was. But I think for me, you've got to find your own motivational mix and then be really self-aware and accountable to say, did I have a gold medal day today? And if not, why not? And what can I do tomorrow to make it a gold medal day? Because remember that acronym WIN. If I want to win, I've got to scale that back to what's in my control and ask what's important now. Because my success won't just happen as a result of me, you know, writing on a flip chart. My performance doesn't levitate up to the height of my dreams. It actually sinks down to the level of my daily disciplines and behaviours. So if I can have a gold medal day today and do it five days in a row, then I've had a gold medal week. And if I can do a gold medal month and a gold medal quarter and I can build that traction, You know, we've got to build the chains a little bit like my daughter with Snapchat's got this streaks idea where you're constantly in contact with people and building these chains of communication for 400, 500, 600 days, whatever. Well, it's the same discipline really around our high performance habits that are going to help us to be successful. So I really hope that whatever size of business, whatever sector, whichever part of the world you're listening in from, that you found this useful please do send your questions through by voicemail or, uh, you know, an audio note through to hello at sportingedge.com. I'd really love to feature more of your voices and stories in the show. Thanks so much for the people that have done it today. And thanks so much for listening. I hope it's given you some inspiration. And also, I think we've touched on the darker side of the winning mindset for entrepreneurs, but also that's life, isn't it? We've got to wade through the swamps and the shit to get through to the field of dreams. And I I hope you all get there. And if you're listening to this before the 26th of June, 2020, then I'm hosting a webinar on this topic on Friday. So please do look at the show notes and, and click on that link to register if you're interested. If you're listening to it afterwards, then I will record that webinar and and put it on to sportingedge.com forward slash resources and that's where all of our webinars sit so you can go in and, and check those out please do connect with me on linkedin 
and share a link to the show. I'd love to keep the dialogue going and the questions between shows. And while I love sharing these audio snippets with you in the podcasts, I'm really excited about having the chance to share hundreds of the actual videos from these experts that you've been listening to in our digital library. So to keep an eye out on my social feeds for our new members club uh, with a special offer during the launch phase. So I appreciate you trusting me with an hour of your time and to thank you in return, I'll make sure that I keep trying to make the best content possible for you. So thanks again for listening and until next time on Inside the Mind of Champions, stay safe and good luck.